Welcome to the Male Fertility Podcast, a podcast designed to help support and educate men as they go through their own fertility struggles. Hi, I'm Kieran. And I'm Sean. And we'll do that by sharing our stories of what we went through, as well as having guests share their knowledge and experience. Right, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to uh, the third episode of the Male Fertility Podcast. Today we are talking all things sperm. How are you, buddy? Sperm. I'm good. I'm good. How are you feeling with your bigger microphone? I feel in control. Yeah. What <laughs> was it you less... said just before we hit hit record? You said I feel more secure. More secure. More confident with my big microphone. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> and uh, the the ever changing plant behind you is uh, slightly yeah. different today. Well, it's changed. Um, it's the same plant. I just move it around. Nice. Um, and then I've brought in a bit of uh, nice smelly stuff in that scented thing in the corner. Otherwise, that generally on top of there has Sebi's keyboard and it looks horrendous where he just <laughs> smashes and plays. He's learning the piano. So, uh, yeah, I just don't think it would look proper in the back of a podcast. <laughs> well, I'm sure that nice smelly stuff creates a better ambiance. Yeah, it does. It puts me in the mood to talk. It's pretty like Decent. That. Well, that's what we're here for. Indeed we are, man. Indeed we are. Uh, but before we start, like, how's how's everything? Uh, mad. Uh, been since I think this is the first episode we've recorded since we've put the pod out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the first two in the bag before episode one went live. So, yeah, it's the 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 way in which it was received has been brilliant. It's everything's gone crazy. Um, not, and then. As we had planned, we tied in the release with um, Fertility Awareness Week, which was an incredibly busy week, and um, it's just been nonstop really. And you know, it's been great. It's all about getting the word out there and raising awareness. But uh, at the same time, I thought my head was going to spin off at one point, and uh, yeah. I've been neglecting the gym a little bit. Which um, I went in today, and it's amazing how much difference two weeks makes. Actually, I'm feeling. The after effects already, so I think tomorrow I might be uh, struggling to walk a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree, mate. It's been a busy two weeks, um, and people are listening. So thank you so much for all the comments, kind comments we've had, all the positivity, people sharing it. We really do appreciate it. Um, and I think we were both taken back by how it was just taken up, wasn't it? We had so much contact for so many people. Um, but in a, in, a, in a weird way, that's why we did it. We wanted to start this conversation, um, but I don't think we were really prepared for how busy we'd be um, and how much people would really engage. Of course, of course we wanted it, um, but we were actually amazed and so pleased that so many people were taking so much from it. Yeah, I, I echo that completely. Um, so yeah, other than crazy busy, everything okay? And, and the family all right? Yeah, absolutely. In my end, yeah, good. Um, good, good. We're both sleeping, so it's all good. So that's a positive, man. That's a positive. Yeah. I um, I've kind of been up and down with like just not feeling too good the last two weeks. So I think I am like the two weeks before we released that first episode, you were similar, um, and I've had two weeks of up and down, but I'm I'm finally back on my feet and feeling hundred percent. So. I just can't wait to get on with this today. It's going to be a great conversation, isn't it? 
Yeah, we're both really excited about this one, aren't we? Because it's the first one, obviously the first two episodes were about our individual stories and, and this one now is actually like more of a, a deeper dive into male infertility or male fertility issues. And uh, yeah, like you said, all things sperm. And uh, yeah, let's let's get cracking, I suppose. Well, I suppose we better uh, like talk about sperm and kind of just the state it's in in a way if you know what I mean it's uh there's so much research supporting the fact that sperm is on the decline um yet we're not really talking about it as a society which completely baffles me no you're right it's um we both talked about it before didn't we it's that this is not a new thing and actually the, the research shows that for 50 years sperm health has been on the decline sperm numbers sperm counts but the conversation still isn't happening it's shocking. I think there's one research paper. I'd have to see if I can find it. I didn't read it for this kind of preparing for this podcast, but I've read it in the past. It's like 1% since 1970. There's been a decline in, in, in fertility in men in sperm count. And that's absolutely shocking. Like it's literally cut in half in 50 years. And yeah. obviously, it's 1% of the total that's there. So if it's 20 million, it will go down 1%. And then the next year, it's twenty million, uh, 1% of that. But it's still deemed as 1% of year, uh, 1% a year that it's it's declining. And it's just, it's a real shock that it's taken this long to kind of be noticed. I've definitely noticed in the last couple of years, it's becoming more of a talking point in terms of male fertility. Um, but the evidence has been there for years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd read that it's um, since the 70s, so it declined by up to 50% in total. Yeah. So I think in the 70s, um, total counts were around 100 million. Now we're looking at kind of between 40 and 50 um, or 40 and 60 maybe. But um, yeah, it's it really makes for really uh, stark reading. And, um, you know, we're in that. And um, obviously, you and I, as we've discussed previously, we, we've experienced it. But what worryingly um, is, is a more uh, kind of very worrying stat for people moving forward and the younger generation is that all arrows are pointing to the fact it's going to get worse and keep sperm counts keep getting lower. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's one of the big things, isn't it? This isn't a problem that's going away. It's it is here, and. We need to address it. I read an article the other day, uh, and it was talking about. Um, I think I didn't send it to you, but I sent uh, a picture of a very famous person who's very uh, like interested in the fertility world in terms of uh, Mr. Elon Musk uh, to you, and about the article that he was linked to, and talking about actually like if we don't sort this out you know, it will end up in a di in dire straits for the human race. And it's true, like, in the end, it runs out, doesn't it? Fertility will decline to a point that the world is suddenly infertile altogether. And obviously, that's not going to happen around the corner, but it will happen in years to come if we don't start addressing it now and the reasons why it's occurring. But there's so many reasons. And you're, you would have found this when you... It started your your journey, your your experience, shall we say? Sorry, I used the J word, mate. Uh, <laughs> straight in. That's the straight ten in. minutes, and you've gone in hard with it. Um, 
but you look for you look for reasons and there's so many reasons why and so many like possibilities it's near impossible to pinpoint why has it happened you know why why is this happening i think it's i always describe it as every single reason is part of a puzzle yeah and you have to address each part of the puzzle to get a full picture um and you never know what piece of that puzzle is going to complete complete it um it, it some, can sometimes be a pure guessing game yeah no that's the thing and like you said that there's not one reason that there's a multitude of the of reasons and and some of which that i've read about being the environment so an increase in pollution um an increase in microplastics in our diet actually and and in our water for example it, uh, both of those are damaging sperm health yeah and then there's but i think the biggest problem i'd imagine it's got to be towards modern lifestyles because we are now in in an age of convenience where we have information unlimited information in our pockets which actually is potentially another thing you know phones being near balls and laptops on laps etc but we also live in a world where if we want food and we're hungry you go into like a a supermarket the easiest things to buy are all the, the highly processed foods which are right there right by the tills shiny packets like chocolate crisps sandwiches that have been produced which you don't know what's in there like probably high sugar and salt content i'd imagine and and all that is definitely going to have an impact on sperm health i think it's really interesting the discussion about like supermarkets because that's a perfect example um of how our, our life our lifestyles have been have changed so much drastically in the last even just 50 years i mean you know that i love to, to read all things like nutrition and exercise and something that I've really become aware of is there's no coincidence between the drastic change in our diets and the drastic increase in like chronic health issues not just Mm. fertility but also things like cancer um, diabetes and all these things that we're kind of looking for a cure for when you know, it could be argued that the cure in front of our eyes is sorting out our lifestyles and what we're actually exposing ourselves to as a human race, not just as an individual. Because, you know, you can do the, the, you can try and do your best as an individual and you can be very specific about what you eat. But as you said, it's, it's near impossible to avoid drinking water out the tap uh, and taking in those microplastics. But yeah. microplastics are used in everything. Like they, we are consuming them all over the all over the place. I think um, it was it was was it Mel Brown that mentioned in the the Channel Four documentary that we we consume a um is it a credit size credit card credit size card. size yeah. of plastic every week. Yeah, like that's that's like I, I expected a year, not a week. Yeah, like that's shocking, isn't it? Yeah, massively. Um, and I'm actually uh, looking into getting a water filter at home at the moment to go on the tap because, um, yeah, obviously my fertility journey is, hey, there it is again. My my, my fertility story, has, has, that ship has sailed, but it's not too too late to change our general health and, and you know, especially for my kids. Yeah. And it's obviously, like we mentioned, the plastics in there, but 
there's concerns around uh, like pesticides washing into the the, the uh, water stream and and pollution. I think I've read that um, like hormones often are getting flushed in into the water system as well. So, but it's all it's all very concerning. It makes for for shocking reading, and and um, it's like that you mentioned about the change in diets and and like the the nutrients that would have been in our grandparents food are so much lesser now in, in yeah. our food and not to mention the the modern like mass-produced uh food and like pesticides that are used on the crops so for example now you, you go into a supermarket you see oh, organic this organic that well in our grandparents generation that wasn't organic food it was just food so there's been a, a massive change and, and i think people if they are struggling with fertility or just across the board but you should probably take a little bit more precaution about what you're consuming because it can have a a massive impact on things like inflammation as well which again can impact fertility yeah i mean i remember being at school and the the cheesy term being used you are what you eat Mm. and uh as i've got older i've realized like it's true (laughs) it really is true like you wouldn't put you know, if you've got a petrol car, you don't put diesel in it because it doesn't no. run. You know, you might get halfway down the block, but in the end it breaks down, you know. Um, and it's the same for our bodies. Obviously, our, it's not, you know, take away from the fact of our, our bodies are amazing organisms and we're able to, like, it's able to filter quite a lot. Mm. Uh, it does it, uh, like, amazingly. But if you do that for 30 years of your life, 40 years of your life in the end that filtering system you know the kidneys and the liver start to get damaged yeah. and then that's where hormones are affected because yes. they're key in development of hormones yeah um, and obviously a major hormone for men being testosterone and, and that can get dragged around with a high sugar diet for example uh, your, your other hormones and blood sugar is going all over the place with that and then guess what so your testosterone and, and you need that to, to be to be in, in a good fertile situation and and, and it's, it's have has an intrinsic link to sperm health and sperm so um but like to you know you mentioned about a car so you know we get one body and if we were to when, when we start our lives or start our our driving uh kind of age and then someone was to give you a car and to say this is the only car you're going to get for the rest of your life you would look after it you would put oh, yeah. the best fuel in it. You you would exercise it, so to speak, and take care and wouldn't rag it. So why do we do that of our bodies? It's it's bizarre, isn't it? And I I have these conversations with clients um, about actually like the the value of of working with people who have that little bit of extra knowledge, like myself, in terms of PT wise um, and exercise. Like you'd put a lot more money into your people literally take more care of their car and their house, which is important. Like you need a house to live in than the body you walk around in mm. your whole life. Like you can't get a second one. Um, I can, I can get a new house. I can get a new car, but actually your body is one of the only things you get one of, you get one chance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but I think and that- well, that's a good point to come on to actually so with, with your, your 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 pt work what interventions do you tell people to make with with lifestyle in general so for example like hot tubs do you, do you give advice around that yeah so things like hot tubs and hot baths like 
you know what you want to be avoiding them because like they'll be like really just heating up your scrotum and damaging the sperm that's in it um but i try and give i try and give advice that fits the individual because some people you know have a good diet they they are doing everything uh, that they perceive to be correct um and right which is um but then through conversations i might get that you know they've got a bit of a disturbed sleeping pattern and you and me both know the importance of sleep for the development of testosterone so yeah it will be like embedding uh, you know sleep hygiene as they call it into their lives Mm. Um, and gradually building up the habits that will allow them to, you know, rubber stamp sleep as something that's positive in their life rather than yeah. being something that is negatively affecting them, which could in turn, it's not always the way, but it could in turn, you know, uh, affect their fertility. Um, so it's very much an individual kind of process in that way. Um, but people, people are aware, mate. People are aware of these things it's just incredibly difficult in a modern world to tick every box yeah no you're right it's um and and, and like you mentioned the modern world and that's an yet another factor is our more um, sedentary lifestyles we live now like kind of office-based work for example where we're sitting down a lot and you mentioned overheating the scrotum well the whole point of the fact that why it hangs low is to try and keep the 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 balls at about two degrees cooler than body temperature because sperm need a cooler environment to thrive yeah. So when we're sat down at desks and and they're, they're nestled in between our hot thighs, that's not good. And and you're getting like hours and hours worth of, of them getting heated up. Where again, in in previous generations, people would do more active work, more manual work, and were more active in general. So it is important to where you can, you know, depending on on your what you do for a job, but just to keep active, keep cooler, and um and, and keep keep moving really. Well, I know we're going to talk about like lifestyles later on in the pod episodes. Um, but I think it's important just to kind of take from this conversation that, you know, be be mindful of what you're doing because um, the world isn't set up to be fertility friendly. You know, it's all about fast consumption. Um, we live, especially the Western world, we live in a place where if we want it, we can get it. You know, Amazon's a perfect example of that, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I wanted a new microphone and it came the next day because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had mic envy. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you don't have to think about it. It's just there. And it's the same with food. So taking taking your time to think about actually what can I do um, mm. to just kind of eliminate some of that and improve uh, my sperm health because that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Like that fertility for men is... What can I do to improve or try to improve my sperm health? Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. And and it, like anything, it comes down to awareness, and and that's why we're doing this. That's why we're we've been banging the drum now on our separate accounts now for what like three years or so. Yeah, and you've been to bloody Everest to raise <laughs> awareness about it. We've both been in national press so you know we're, we're doing it it's slowly you know there's some, some other good good guys in the game so it's all about us all rowing in the same direction and is that even the same pulling in the same direction pulling, pulling in the same direction that'd be it yeah we can roll that way if you want mate i don't mind yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah i mean going back to like the social media side of things yeah we've 
we've both really kind of banged the drum there, haven't we, mate? Like, I've been involved in BBC articles. We've both been on Channel 4, on Steph's Pat Lunch, and talking about it on there. Um, and it's just, we, we talked about it before we came on air, the fact that it's still shocking that despite people really talking about it, there's no real... There is awareness, but it's not been taken seriously enough yet. It needs to be taken seriously because, as you said, it's declining. It's not going to stop declining. Um, so unless we want the inevitable to happen and it to get to such a point that that's it, it's done, we've got to take it seriously. Absolutely. I've just got one more little note, mate, is that in fact, if people want to kind of read more about this, uh, there's a great book called, uh, let me just check my notes here, it's called The Countdown, and it's by Shannon, Shanna Swan uh, and Stacey, I think it's Colino, Colino. Um, but yeah, it's called The Countdown, and it's fantastic. It, it's, it kind of talks about the environment and how it's having a negative impact on fertility uh, for men and for women, uh, and just kind of how things that we should be aware of. Uh, uh, and it talks real it is scientific it, it's real factual but it's just such a good eye-opener if you just want to know a little bit more have a little bit more understanding of kind of direction that we are going in and things that you can do to assist your fertility it's a fantastic book i definitely recommend reading it uh, nice yeah yeah okay, mate. <laughs> nice good shout thank you and um, i'm sure that will help loads of people so um Let's discuss really uh, the process of finding out, like how you what you do if if you have suspicion that you there's an issue and and how you go about getting a sperm test. I think it's different for everyone, isn't it? Like there is a process to go. If I mean, if you search it on the NHS, it will tell you there's certain tick boxes you need to kind of uh, tick. So, for example, you need to be trying for a six months uh without protection um uh, yeah that's kind of like the biggest one isn't it that's what they're looking for um also they're, they're looking for previously diagnosed um health issues that might kind of impact your fertility so it kind of it won't put you to the front of their queue but it will make you well, the doctor's more aware of you shall we say they'll take more interest in you if you've got something that's kind of already flagged up um but i think we did well once again before we came on we had that quick chat about how your experience and my experience was very different because when i actually sat down in front of the consultant for the first time i had no awareness at all of my infertility um and there's, there's that big part of me that feels like I should never have got that far without finding that out. Like, Jen was in the system for quite a long time. But because she, you know, had polycystic or has polycystic ovaries, it was just deemed it was because she wasn't, you know, having regular cycles. So when it actually came to me, I had missed the assessment bit that I should have kind of gone through, the process I should have gone through um, and ended up with a real shock. Well, for you, it was a different experience, wasn't it, mate? Yeah. Well, it's, um, and, and that you just described there is part of the problem with the fertility world um, and 
the kind of the woman centric testing that we've seen in the past. And, and hopefully that is now starting to turn a little bit because there is becoming a lot more awareness, certainly within the um, medical world of, of just how, uh, how much male fertility, infertility is out there and, and how attributable we are to that, that slice of the pie, so to speak. And, um, but for example, in my case, see, I, I, I knew that I'd had mumps when I was 22. So we went and said that to the doctor. But, but interestingly, he still sent my wife for tests as well. And, you know, and you could absolutely, it's the right thing to do. And it's, um, and it's prudent. But on conversely, you weren't sent for tests when you and Jen both went. So it shows that, that like the, the, how, how disproportionate it can be in, mm. in, in your case, it was like, okay, focus on Jen. You weren't referred for a long, long time. Whereas it was literally the first thing that, that when, when I said it, he was like, okay, I'm going to send you for a sperm analysis. And, um, so yeah, it, it does very widely. And uh, obviously there, there are some stories of people being sent away from the doctors because they haven't been trying for X amount of time, whatever that magic time is, who knows? Um, I've heard, like six months, 12 months, 18 months. But ultimately, you know, when people are trying, that it's like we did, you're taking the ovulation tests, you know when's the optimum time to be trying and, and then you get that heartbreak again every month on month, on month of, of it not happening. So it's about being your own advocate and if you feel that there is a problem, definitely go into the GPs. And, and, and But also now there are, certainly for men, there's, there's other um avenues of testing such as um exceed our sponsors but like there are other ways to to start taking control of your of your fertility earlier um that that certainly wasn't an option when we were going through it either you or i no and you know what i think i think i would have been happier kind of uh doing that initial test at home like initially just to see what was going on um i mean we'll get on shortly about our own experiences and you know they're humorous now for some of it but actually that first initial test is really really intimidating it is quite scary you don't know what to expect you don't know if you're doing it right something that you've done for the last oh no 15 years am i doing it right to do it in a pot i don't know what do i have to do like <laughs> <laughs> it's bizarre what the thought process that goes through your head. Um, now, I actually did. Um, I asked the guys from XC to send me a, a home sample uh, just because I wanted to see what it was like and how it worked and everything. And it's a completely different experience. Obviously, I'm in a completely different part of my life and that now. And um, I'm not searching for answers. I'm seeing what it's like and you know it gave me some really um interesting results let me just get it up on my phone for a second buddy but i can definitely see how for your initial consultation like your initial kind of just getting to know what's going on where you are in the ballpark do you need to go and get additional you know investigation right a home test kit uh, fantastic and i really do wish i'd had it when i was uh first say um experience in that mm. <laughs> can we put it that way we hope you're enjoying the third episode of the male fertility podcast we just want to take a moment of your time 
and talk about our sponsors, Exit Health. The key to getting ahead of the game for your fertility, understanding your fertility, is getting started early. The earlier you test, the better you can plan for the future. Exceed at home sperm tests make it easy to get an indication of your sperm health without jumping through all the hoops of testing on the NHS or within private clinics. You don't have to send the sample in a pot through the post. All you need to do is harness the power of your phone and the Exceed device and you're able to record an up close video of your sperm for the app to analyze. But just because you do your Exceed test outside of a clinic, it doesn't mean you're left to fend for yourself. Straight after the test results are in, the app will show you recommendations that can help you improve your sperm health. Often making some lifestyle changes can help to improve your results, providing you've got some motile sperm cells. Testing again over time can help track your changes, improvements, or areas that need more focus. Sadly, it's not always going to be good news. And after testing, you may not be able to see any live sperm in your sample. But Exceed Health have medical professionals only a message away that can answer any questions you have about your results, make suggestions on how to improve, or even point you in the right direction of your next options. If you prefer, you can have a free video consultation to discuss with their team face-to-face of your options or how to improve uh, your sperm health. If you'd like any of the XC products, please visit exceedhealth.com and use the promotional code MFP15 for 15% off. That's MFP15 for 15% off. Now, we hope you enjoy the rest of the show. So let's get back to it. Well, let's um let's talk about that experience, and then we'll come on to what the results can look like after. I think. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we can do it afterwards. What's really funny though, it cracks me up, is that we're just openly talking about this now, going out <laughs> to however many people, and and like certainly, I know that my wife will listen to it, but whenever she tries to quiz me about having a cheeky tug, like I just completely <laughs> shut it down. I'm like, you know, I don't talk about that. I don't know what we talking about? <laughs> yeah, don't don't know what you're on about. And there you go, eh? It's all about awareness. It is about awareness. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that is very, it's a natural thing. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it can't be avoided, shall we say. But when it came to actually giving my first sample, I, I remember just being absolutely terrified. And it was one of the worst experiences of my life. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll tell you about it. So it was in, I had to go because obviously you have to get the sample there in a certain amount of time. Right? That's, you get a letter through from the doctors and it will say, deliver your sample here at this time within this this uh, time period of, of giving the sample. And it, it ranges between half an hour uh, and an hour. You've got to get it there definitely before the hour. So I remember waking up in the morning and we lived 40 minutes away from the hospital. And this is when we lived in Sussex. And I had this conversation with Jen. I was like, what do we do? Like, what if we get stuck in traffic and we don't get it there? Because that was completely possible. Down into Brighton, it gets very busy. So after a, a conversation and a lot of convincing from Jen, 
she was like, you're going to have to go to the hospital and, and do it. I was like, what, the hospital? She was like, yeah, we're gonna have to, you're going to have to do it there. So we got to the hospital and I'm, 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 I'll be honest, I'm a bit, I'm shitting myself a bit because I'm about to, you know, do the deed in a hospital, public place. What if this goes wrong? What if someone like, I don't know, reports me? <laughs> like I had all these image things going through my head. Anyway, we found initially, eventually we found like a, a group of toilets. So there was loads of toilets there because that was one of the things I was really kind of key about. I didn't want it just to be one toilet because then people would always come. They'd be like, if there was a couple, it means I could get away with being in one for a bit longer. They can use the other. So that was the first criteria ticked. The only downside is it was across, literally across the way or the corridor from like the cafe. So I could hear everything what was going on. So you and went into a normal toilet to give us your yeah, sperm sample. Normal toilet. That's mad. <laughs> there wasn't any facilities. There was no facilities. Oh my it word! It was a normal. This is the first time I've done it. Right? Oh my. And it gets worse than that. So Jen was like, "Look, I'm going to give you a space because she could see I was anxious. Like I wasn't in a good place at that moment in terms of like uh, I just my anxieties were all over the place. So she's like, "I'm going to go anxiety." <laughs> I'm going to go for a coffee or a you know, hot chocolate uh, and I can see the toilet from here. All right. So if anything happens, I, you know, I can come and intervene and blah, blah. So I was like, that's fine. So I went in the toilet and this is going back like, well, yeah, like 10 years, isn't it? So everything was on 3G then. So I couldn't have any assistance from my phone because phones weren't as advanced then. So I had to like try and do it just off the bat. Anyway, like I was in there for ages, right? I couldn't, I was you know, doing it and I could, and then just as I was kind of getting comfortable, um, the door starts going, right? And, this, this, and then I can hear this old woman outside talking to her husband and she's like, and she started putting her bags down. She's like, I think the door stuck. And then what I didn't realize was that the lock, like didn't show that it was locked. It was so it was still white. So she's pulling out this door. You can imagine the scene inside. So I just completely lost it. I, you know, pulled myself up. I was like, I can't do it. And I walked out and I walked into Jane. I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> anyway, she's and this Jen's in complete stitches, sat drinking this like cup of like cocoa, whatever it was. And she was like, I just watched all that unravel. It was hilarious. I was like, You're supposed to be supporting me. Brilliant. <laughs> supporting me. But that was the um, that was the very first sample I did. So we, what happened eventually is we went for a walk and then I went back uh, and we did the same toilet. We did it, right? Uh, I did it and um, I, I delivered it. Like I didn't really know where to deliver it. That's a weird thing, isn't it, mate? Like you, yeah. You walk towards the slot and you put it in and then, but you can hear someone collect it and it's like they collect it straight away. And you're thinking someone's just collected a pot of my my sperm. That's a bit. It's a bit weird. So you walk off, hoping that no one's seen you, even though everyone knows why you're there, because it's in the deepest, darkest part of the hospital that you have to go down twenty six flights of stairs to get to, and no one goes down there unless they're going down there. Do you know what I mean? It's like in the most awkward place. Um, and then that's when I, I got my. Um, so uh, at that point, I didn't know there was anything wrong. So I was just really anxious about doing this sample. 
So we got the results from that and they said, we need you to do another one. Now, this is the worst one. Uh, I've got I've got three stories to tell you. This is the second one. And um, so we went back to um, Brighton Hospital, same process, same toilet. And this time, just as I was getting to the point of, you know, about to deliver the sample, the fire alarm went off. No, no joke. <laughs> <laughs> and they were evacuating the hospital. <laughs> so I had to put them up again. And I had to go and evacuate. Um, luckily, I hadn't just got—I hadn't got to the point of no return. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then I went. Yeah, we went in. I went back. I thought it was all sorted, and I managed to do it. Um, and I said to Jen, "I'm never going in that toilet again. <laughs> never. Like I've been in there twice. Uh, you know, giving a semen sample, having a tug when I don't want to, and two things have gone wrong. Brilliant." Um, but the, I think, I mean, that was probably the worst one in terms of like in a public place, but also at Bourne Hospital. And this is the one I started to tell you at um, the fertility show. And you said, don't tell me, wait. till the <laughs> yeah. So you like what I've realized is, and this is a really weird thing, that you and me have had a wank in the same room. Oh yeah, yeah. I always, I always <laughs> knew we had a special connection, my friend. Uh, yeah, so basically, um, I thought oh, I can do this now, and like I, I sustained for like four days. I was like, I'm ready for it. So we drove all the way to Bourne Hall because by this time we'd moved to um, Bedfordshire, so we couldn't do the sample because it was like fifty mile, uh, fifty minute drive. So I had to do it there, booked a slot. Um, this, so this lady took me up and it was the most bizarre thing. I, and she took me up and just as she went in, she, as I went in, she said to me, if you need a hand or need anything, just let me know. And I thought, that's the weirdest thing you'd ever say to someone. <laughs> but I think she was just like, if you need anything, just let yeah. us know. But it's still how I read it, like walking in, I was like, oh, I don't need a hand. I'll be fine. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, I went in and I started doing what you're doing. And then I got to the point of um, like no return, and I, I would look down and realise I hadn't taken the lid off the sample <laughs> bottle. <laughs> Mate, oh my god, that's brilliant! <laughs> so I had to like I scrambled the lid off um, because that bit... first part of the sample is the most important bit as well. <laughs> scrambled the lid off. Like made an absolute shit show of it, and managed to scoop some into it. Oh my god. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's how that happened, mate. <laughs> yeah, some interesting results on that one. Not just so, looking at. Well, um, I went back. Counts probably had oh, a bit oh. of fluff there. <laughs> I went back and I, I put it, gave the sample in, and um, yeah, basically I was called back to give another sample. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so yeah, I had uh, so my my like first what I would call three major semen samples were uh, basically an old lady and a husband trying to break into the toilet I was in, the fire alarm going off, and then I forgot to take the lid off. It's quite incredible. <laughs> it's quite yeah. it's quite a series, uh, a series of things. And um, yeah, I, let's just say from that point on, there was a specific thing. I, I went through everything. I went in, first thing I did, take the lid off. First thing, because they had that weird um, sink you have to wash your balls in. 
Do you remember yeah. that? Like, yeah. It looks like it looks like they've got it out of a hair salon or something where you put your head in it. Um, but I got I sorted everything out, and as long as everything was ready, I was ready. I didn't rush into it. <laughs> Preparation is key. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I know that's. I've kind of made a bit of a, a jolly about funny stories there, but like the, the anxiety for that is real. And well, I'm I'm uh, gonna coin and trademark this phrase, wanxiety. <laughs> is that what you going? Is that what we're going for? Yeah, wank anxiety. Wank, yeah, wanxiety. Wanxiety. Right. I, I think yeah. that's. I think that's. Um, get it into the oxford english uh, dictionary or maybe even urban dictionary <laughs> urban dictionary <laughs> it's probably in there to be fair um but yeah i mean this we should rewind and talk about like how i felt the day of that first kind of sample i was really anxious i remember not eating i remember not knowing the rules of being able to do something like that in, like in a public toilet like that's how i was thinking i was like what if something goes wrong here but the anxieties of that um what if i can't do it what if i post it in the wrong letterbox you know all these things i was like just literally just like pigeonhole for their like <laughs> internal correspondence so like i think they got a hate campaign or, or a, a stalker just, just Someone's a little... flipping pot of spunk <laughs> i came down to grab a fax um yeah i mean yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. And and like, I mean, you've talked to guys, I've talked to guys, that anxiety, that wank anxiety is real. Yeah. And um, I think I had, I, you know, they were the really embarrassing ones, but I've also like experienced it where the room they give you is really kind of unfriendly. It looks yeah. like something out of... Um, I don't know, like you'd go into before like a registry office, like a couple of chairs and that mm. was it. Like a little yeah. room that you go in to sign the deed and it was it was bizarre. Um one particular I've forgotten where it was. I can't I can't remember where it was. It might have been like Luton. It probably was Luton to be fair. <laughs> um it was like I could I could smell the people smoking outside oh, while I was gosh. giving the the sample yeah um, off-putting oh off-putting's an understatement it was it was horrendous uh, i don't think it was Luton actually i think it was leeds and i spoke to you about before how leeds just gave us the wrong vibe um and that was one of the reasons i'm pretty sure it was um but if there's any people out there you know uh clinics listening to this please make sure that you the men have somewhere comfortable they can give their their semen analysis because it is a really tough thing mm. it, it's i know it's not as in intrusive and as painful as egg collection but it is the male version of it it and is not the easy bit as, as no. that that documentary uh is titled it's really not the easy bit because when there is so much and i'll say the proper word because it's it's like less jokey but when there is so much worry and anxiety around it it really isn't and and i certainly have experienced every part of that as well that you have um i mean i um I, again i didn't have the option actually of, of transporting it to the hospital and i've heard because they say oh if you do it like you said i was always told you get it get it there within an hour um and some people and you have to try and keep it at body temperature um or as like warm and i've heard accounts of people putting it 
either like by their balls anyway in between their legs mm. or under their in their armpit or even women putting it between their boobs stuff and um yeah. but I, that was never an option for us because the first place i went to do it was in cambridge which was an hour away because where we lived in hertfordshire just didn't have facility to do it um and and i think i talked about it on, on episode one my story but went into the room with the chaise lounge and um yeah, yeah. and I, I was in such a panic that i forgot to lock the door i only realized that afterwards <laughs> when i went to leave and um so like you know i could have had a, that if it was the, the situation with the old lady then uh, she would have had uh, been straight in mate straight <laughs> in <laughs> yeah so um i mean flipping hell that the story you mentioned being in just a normal toilet that's that's absolutely mad mm-hmm. um I couldn't even imagine like it trying was, to do it. It was um it was a disabled toilet, so yeah. it was to myself. Oh, but spacious. Like, spacious, yeah, I'd room to throw myself about, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you could try but, one of those uh you know uh, strangulation <laughs> ones. Let's fix the wank. Remember always use a spotter for one of those. It, it was <laughs> it was too uh it was too noisy outside for anything like that, mate. Like, it was <laughs> uh, you could hear people walking past like families walking past um yeah and then this old girl and her um her husband would try to break in yeah bless them little did they know what was going on inside eh if only they knew mate i don't think anyone would have come near that like no it's uh... i mean after i had those uh the initial two in cambridge and then i kind of um the result obviously being azuspermia and then i was very much in got thrown into the fertility world and then I got referred to the uh, UCLH in London down in Houston and again getting a sample there over an hour is not an option especially with public transport and so but from that point on I started developing this really weird need and I know it all comes down to to nerves but so the rooms there are in the basement and firstly there's no phone signal so I was a bit stuffed with material and um but also the rooms were like en suite so you had this little area of chairs in telly, the magazines, but then there was this toilet like inside the same room. It was really big. So, and, and I was like, oh, perfect. Cause I needed a nervous poo. And, um, but then it started to become this like habit that every time I went, I needed this nervous poo first. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, I had a few at the UCLH, um, kind of before I had the, uh, the varicocele embolization and then the ones afterwards. And it was the, actually the first one after that uh, that I couldn't do uh, literally because so much was riding on it the anxiety was like through the roof uh, yeah. I um, yeah I was in there for about 45 minutes the room I was in was next to the staff room so I could hear them all laughing and joking and obviously my paranoia was telling me that they were laughing and joking about me because I was in there for so long um, yeah and things were starting to chafe and I I just it was not going to happen I had to just give up Uh, and then I tried to kind of just give it back to the receptionist on the on the quiet on the sly and she announced to the whole bloody waiting room oh there's nothing in there it's like yeah cheers for that and I literally legged it out um but then uh, I managed to go back and, and and produce that sample and it was still zero which was a really crushing moment for us um but then I went up to Bourne Hall, like you just mentioned, and um, those rooms are upstairs. And, yeah. and I've walked in, and much to my uh, my my fright, there was no toilet in there. And I was like, oh, okay, oh, oh. So I've left again. I've gone past the, the little reception, and the lady was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I just need to go to the toilet. 
and that, uh, I obviously learned my lesson after that first time that there was no toilets there. So I went for my nervous poo first, but that, that became a bit of a routine and a bit of a, a bit of a ritual really, but, uh, <laughs> clearing hey, out all the pipes, but, if, uh, if, if it helps, like it's important that people get their own little rituals and feel comfortable to do it. Cause it is yeah. so tough. Um, I do have a question for you regarding Barn Hall. Did you just mm. use the one room or did you get to use all three of them at some point? I think I always used the same one because it was always available and I got a bit funny about kind of um, like superstition and stuff and, and routine. And I, it was as you got upstairs first on the right. Is what I'd yeah, always the first of it, the bigger room. Yeah. I can't, I can't believe we're having a talk, a discussion about which room. So... <laughs> <laughs> the other rooms they all had different things in them like Ooh. different kind of content like um, oh, damn i wish i had experimented now well there was the 80s room <laughs> i remember talking to jen about i was like the 80s room is weird jen and she was like what do you mean i said it's just got loads of videos from the 80s literally it's like dvds wow. so like old school and then there was another one which seemed to have just the kind of really heavy material in it let's put it like that yeah (laughs) it was was a bit like no i don't need to watch that (laughs) one of my uh one of my really good friends he he said and it's always stuck with me because it's just hilarious but he always says he's not so much scared of getting caught wanking it's what he's caught what he's wanking over (laughs) (laughs) so that sounds like the room for him yeah that that would be his room mate it is it is it was the first it was the one at the end of the hall like, you know, uh, so you go up and there was one on the right and then there yeah. was another one, then a little corridor on the left. And then there was another one right at the end of the hall. It was like down the end, down the forbidden land. Right. Like, um, <laughs> I only went in there once. And then I, when, when they asked to get me go in there again, I was like, is there anything else available? I don't really want to go in there. You've got anything a bit more mainstream. <laughs> scares me. Um, oh yeah, you can go in this one instead. It was like choosing a room in the Premier Inn Brilliant. or something. Amazing. <laughs> no, I've, I, I stuck to the same one. But but then it comes to, you know, it's, it's not easy. It's like you said, um, it's about that clinic's almost um, not just sticking, sticking it in as an afterthought down the corridor, like down the end next to the staff room or whatever. It's creating that environment. But, uh, you know, especially when it comes to operational hospitals, like um, was it Brighton Hospital you mentioned? Yeah, Brighton. Yeah, yeah. Brighton. You know, I went to UCLH. So they are main hospitals with A&Es and all sorts of functions. So I do understand that... that um, yeah, there's probably a lot of vying for for uh, square footage from various different departments, but where possible, yeah. it is something that is extremely nerve wracking. I, I think it's also um, it's one of the advantages of a private clinic, isn't it? Like you get that little bit extra care, that little bit extra thought goes into everything. Um, yeah. I mean, we were really lucky in terms of we had the majority of our NHS treatment at Bourne, which is a private Mm. clinic anyway. Um, But the experiences that I had, say, in the mainstream NHS hospitals were significantly more uncomfortable. Mm. And um, I just think that, you know, hospitals and, you know, fertility providers need to think, think about that Um, because it is such a nerve wracking thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and and you know that's it's one thing just doing it. Then you've got the um, the anxiety of waiting for the results, and and I actually um I've dug up my first ever result. Have um, you from from the initial the initial test? I haven't got mine on me. I'll tell you about these uh, Xseed 
uh, results mm. in a minute, but I'll get mine for next. Um, yeah, I'll share. I'll share them next episode because they're really interesting, like how it, yeah. how it develops. Well, I mean, the, the fact that you know this is from uh, 2018, so I still kept it. It's, in, it's actually in the hidden folder on my phone. <laughs> so but, <laughs> encrypted. Um, yeah, God, there's all sorts in there. But um, so it's from February 18, and actually, funnily enough. Um, I always thought it was January 18 that I was diagnosed, but hey, that's trauma for you, mm. <laughs> you know. It's, but you know, so when you do a um, when you when you give a sample, they're going to be looking at certain things such as um, your total count of sperm present, um, the concentration, the motility, and the morphology. And yeah, my um, my results are absolutely life changing. They don't make good reading even now, but. Um, so uh, total count 0.0 concentration 0.0 motility 0.0 so yeah not not great they didn't even bother performing the morpho- morphology test because i think by that point it literally says not performed they're like yeah. well i suppose they've got they got nothing to look at to um to see if it what it's like so the only thing i did uh have a uh, a decent result in uh, above the reference range was the volume so that's actually and this actually answers a question um that a few people have asked in the past especially of my wife when she tells them her husband has no <laughs> sperm um is people say well can, can you still ejaculate and yes you can that is semen sperm is obviously what you need to like that's the all-important stuff but the fluid that comes out that's what's measured in volume and the reference range is anywhere above 1.5. I'm delighted to say I had 2.1. So, uh, did all right there. Did all right. Um, but yeah, I mean that receiving that phone call was, um, as I said, life changing. You know, being told I had azoospermia, which it says on there, which the, the poor person who phoned me didn't or couldn't pronounce and, and was, uh, telling me something so, drastically life-changing and and that's the way it remained every i must have done oh i'd say 12 maybe 15 um samples and every single time the result was the same in many different locations so this place was up in cambridge um then down to ucla and up to bourne hall again in cambridge but different place but yeah every time just constantly getting that same result zero 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 it's all across the board so yeah not easy tough reading yeah tough reading man i mean what was your when you went for each sample was there because guys will be kind of experiencing this what did you have real like real hope that it would have changed or were you had you already kind of kind of pre-guessed they wouldn't or uh, how, what was your what was your thought process waiting for those results, knowing that previously, say the previous seven have been, you know, uh, zeros. Obviously, the first one was like a massive shock, life changing, like completely. Then I did the follow up one three months later to confirm it, and I actually I can't remember I can't remember my feelings going into it, mm-hmm. and I can't remember my feelings coming out of it. I remember. Like I mentioned on the first episode, I was away for work when when that phone call came in. I, yeah, it's um, I don't. I yeah, I only. I I'll be guessing if I said how I felt going into that second one. Um, the one that really stands out is that one that I mentioned that I 
couldn't do following yeah. the varicose embolization because I had put so much hope into that one that it was going to be a relatively easy fix, that this relatively minor operation was going to have a massive impact. Yes, we would probably, well, we would still need IVF because I was just hoping to get from nothing to something. And yeah, that was the one that there was just so much pressure on. And when it was still zero, that was the most crushing moment. I'd say probably more so in a different way, but more so than the initial diagnosis because I was always still hopeful that there would be another way and that we'd find a way around it. And so that that's definitely the one that stands out. And after that, it just became a bit routine. I, mm. I didn't have much hope, um, especially then going up to Bourne Hall and they wanted to run their own tests and stuff. And I was just like, it just became routine, like not attaching any hope to it. And so, yeah, I mean, how about yourself? Well, in terms of in between each cycle, in between each... Um... How did I feel? Very anxious, very anxious. And each time I, I distinctly remember, like each time I gave a sample and said it wasn't improvement, I, I kind of almost dug the hole a bit deeper. I got sadder. That's the only mm. way to explain it. I got sadder, um, and the whole thing like affected me more and more and more. Um, I always had that anxiety about it, like about doing it. I always had the the fear of almost doing it because I, I was scared it was going to be the same again. Um, it was a real thing. I distinctly remember those emotions. Mm. Uh, but then I also remember like the good emotions when we started to address those, that life, lifestyle factors. Um, and things started to improve, you know, I, I remember that. Um, and that's kind of probably what really, along with the counseling that I talked about previously, having those positive emotions suddenly kind of kick in, helped pull me out of, of, of the depression I found myself in. Um, but it was always before then, it was always a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, uh, and just a lot of hope that I, or, or I don't know, I don't know what the word is. I don't know what to, I don't know how to describe it. The wish that I hadn't, didn't have to go through it. Yeah. Like it was all a bad dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was how I felt each time we went into it. I kind yeah. of really just felt empty about it and sad. Um, especially yeah. when those results came. It was just like, oh fuck, not again. Yeah, exactly. But then, yeah. like you mentioned in the your, the last episode, that you managed to get your count from fifteen hundred up to four million. Yeah, and and seeing that tangible change from the work that you're putting in, that must have been yeah, really that's huge where, and validating as well. That's where all that positivity came from. Mm. You know, suddenly it was like I turned the corner. We still needed Ixy, um, and we were still going to need assistance, but. I was like, oh yeah, it's it, it's working. This is yeah. something's happening. Yeah, I'm not like um, breaking records with super sperm, but like they're getting better. Like yeah. something's working. So whatever it is, just keep doing it. Um, I mean, like I mean, I I did an interview, and it must have been 
I don't know, maybe two years ago. And I talked about this, how it went from 1,500 to 4 million. And I was on this interview with them. Um, there was a couple of like experts on it. It was like a live thing. It was like a live podcast. I've forgotten what it was for. But one of the experts like dismissed it, like dismissed the increase. It was like, well, it's still, still nowhere near where it needs to be. And I remember getting quite angry about it. And I went back yeah. at him. I was like, but that's a massive increase. If someone could increase your wage from fifteen hundred pound to four million a year, you'd be pretty bloody happy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, and it, it's the same with sperm. Like, yes, it's nowhere near where it's meant to be, but the quality and the quantity had increased quite drastically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting way how people look at it. That's incredible. Like, what a thing to say. Literally. <laughs> but uh, I think. Um, no, I was in the position there where I can just go, hey, mate, I'm not having that. Like, I'm comfortable in my position now. But you can see how um, professionals can be just so dismissive. And we, we need, I think we need to discuss this in further detail in, in, a, in another podcast. Hmm. Um, but how you talk to clients and how you engage specifically with men is, is vital to keep them on the right track. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, when you're dealing with such a fragile emotional and, and mental state with, with any kind of um, subpar fertility uh, diagnosis. But I mean, where, where's, where are your results now? Like, with you where took are that my XC test. Now? So I did the XC test. And you know what? Like I said before, if I'd, if I'd had the option beforehand, uh, like 10 years ago, I would have tried one of these at home just to mm. kind of see what what it was all about. So, uh, my total uh, sperm count was um, 0.31 million, so like 300,000. Um, my volume was good at 3 mil, which was, was really good, um, for, uh, 0.3 mil. Uh, concentration was really poor, so it was below 0.5 um, 0.5 million per mil so mm. you know it was really low uh, but i kind of expected that that was where my issue is all along uh progressive motilities increased drastically so it's gone to 20 percent. you know i know like this isn't a scientific lab but it's give it gives us a, a reasonable um like ballpark of where it is you know this yeah. this, this assessment well, that's just um, it, you know, like we've mentioned. Imagine having this uh, to hand when we were going through it because it, it gives you an idea. And, you know, in my case, it would have led to a very swift trip to the doctors to be like, yeah, this test must be wrong. There's nothing there. But, you know, at least in yours, you would have been a little bit more forearmed um, uh, and forewarned with the fact that there, there were going to be overall number issues and, and motility, for example. So, yeah, it does. Um, yeah. It is vital. I mean, and then to know then that interventions you can put in place to increase it as well. Well, it's all on the app. Like if I was really looking to, to like attack a uh, fertility cycle, um, there's everything I need on there to at least get started, you know, mm. and it, it would have made things a lot less stressful, a lot less yeah. stressful. I mean, it also gives you what it should be at. So for example, for my, um, sorry, for my sperm motility, I've got 20, 20%. It seemed below ab, uh, below normal. 
So above normal would be 32%. So yeah. I'm not that far off there. I mean, no. sperm concentration, like it should be a 15 and I'm at 0.5. So we won't talk about that one. <laughs> but it gives me the range, you know. And then yeah. for uh, sam- uh, sample volume, um, 1.5 and I'm at uh, 3. So it yeah. shows actually I'm willing the green for that. So that's not a problem. Volume's not a problem for me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's worth mentioning that if anyone does want to try um, one of these at home kits, uh, they're available from Xseed at xseedhealth.com. So um, get on there uh, and use our promotional code of MFP15 um, for 15% off. I was trying to recall that from the memory then there. Can you see that, mate? Nice. <laughs> but we got it. We got it. Um, just because we're talking about it, and it's such a relevant point. It's such a relevant point, uh, and people need to know that these things are out there and they, they can access it for their comfort and just to kind of gauge where they are. You know, I just yeah. wish I'd had that, and then I, I at least it wouldn't have been such a drastic shock. You know, It could have been that we knew that Jen had her own issues, we could have bought one of these kits and I could have done one and gone, oh, actually, I've got some issues too, yeah. rather than just getting it from the bloody consultants room, which, you know, we well, I've talked enough about that. <laughs> <laughs> Those public toilets. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's, um, that was an awesome episode, actually, I must Those say. Those public it's, toilets, mate. Yeah, it, it's really an, an that, that you know sperm tests for men are the gateway to all of this it's either going to send you one way or another if you know what i mean kind of be told that everything's okay or or actually that it's not and we need to start looking at other avenues and further tests and then there's actually more complex things which can be looked at such as dna fragmentation which is definitely worth looking into even if all your counts across yeah. the board are looking um kind of quote comma um normal but uh yeah DNA fragmentation is definitely something we didn't touch upon, but is is an issue. But uh, yeah, a vital a good... vital episode. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just going back on that DNA fragmentation, that's a completely different like. Well, it's not a different ballpark, but it can be a whole podcast on itself. That one, mm-hmm. um, and what you can do or what you need to have done, looked into. It can. It's a really fascinating subject and definitely something we um should look into. But yeah, man, great great um conversation great pod yeah. tonight i've really enjoyed yeah. it like uh like you never know where these things are we do have rough plans and it's important people know that that we kind of have a rough idea what we're going to talk about but we try and make it as natural as far as possible and um you know we get to telling all kinds of little stories anyway. <laughs> yeah and come up with uh new terms for the medical world hashtag wanxiety <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we should push it. I think yeah. maybe we should get some like t-shirts or something on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got space for a new tattoo somewhere. 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 Yeah. Like, just some sperm going in the wrong direction. Like. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be more than I've got in my balls. <laughs> but no, man, it's been grand. Um, I, I suppose it's worth noting uh, and, and highlighting that like our next episode... Um, we're going to be looking at uh, like initial processing and what what why men don't talk and why uh, or what support is out there for men because obviously yeah. we've just talked about giving sperm samples and then you get your results. Well, you know how do you deal with those results and how do you process that? I, I think that's going to be a fantastic 
uh, episode and something that we both can bring a lot to the table on because you know we both had a lot to process in, in yeah. two different stories um so that's going to be grand man yeah absolutely and uh as always if you want to get in contact with us it's uh on it we're on instagram at, at the male fertility podcast or email oh you just pointed straight at me haven't you right it's the um, male fertility podcast at gmail.com look at that yeah nice it's one getting, and it's getting smoother <laughs> lovely and you've now signed in on the uh, instagram haven't you yes i have yes i have mate i'm Excellent. sorry it took me ages to do it i um I kept getting it and then something would happen and I was like, I need to find it and then I had to find it and I, but I'm on there now. I'm on there Excellent. Now. So, Top man. Um, we, so get in we, contact. You can get a personalised response from Kieran rather than just <laughs> silly old me. I'll yeah. do it. We need to get a rotor. I'll do Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, in all seriousness, it's, um, I'm really touched by it because like, I've, I've gone through it the last couple of days. Uh, and the engagement's been phenomenal. I know you've been doing a lot of hard work, mate, and I really appreciate that. Um, but thank you to everybody as well that has been reaching out. Please continue. Um, obviously, if you listen to this um, and you've got some questions on, on our next topic, please kind of let us know, uh, and we'll try and answer them if we can. If we don't get them before we record that, we'll respond to you personally, right? one-to-one because -one, mm. that's what we yeah. need to do aren't we buddy absolutely yeah like you said those messages mean a lot to us so um yeah thank you for everyone that sent one so far right then bud i suppose we better tie it up um and and, and we'll see you on the other side eh absolutely cheers right, have a good one